Good morning, High Point. My name is Femi. I'm one of the elders here, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. The scripture for today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 11 through 22, and can be found on page 1777 in your pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once, once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached the peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all dads and uh, spiritual dads. My name is Manohar James, and uh, I'm one of the ministers at High Point. And my wife and I are truly grateful uh, for the opportunity uh, to serve, learn, and grow at High Point along with you all. Uh, in fact, we also love Wisconsin, not because of the snow, um, but we love because it is a fertile land. And when I say that, I'm truly ignorant about what crops grow here in Wisconsin. I'm saying it because within two years of time, my wife became pregnant successfully after coming here. So for that reason, we are so thankful to be here. <clears throat> Well, for the past uh, few weeks, we have been studying the book of Ephesians and learning how God saved us by His grace, raised us with Christ, and created us for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So today, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, where we see that by God's grace, we are not only reconciled to God, but also reconciled to one another in Christ Jesus so that we may dwell like a holy temple on earth in which God resides by His Spirit. When Paul was writing this epistle, he was aware of the socio-cultural, religious disputes and disparities existed in that part of the world. 
The things that separated people during that time were cultural pride, political tensions, gender discriminations, economic status, prejudices against each other, and all that we could imagine on earth. For a Jew, everyone who is not circumcised is a Gentile. For a Greek, whoever could not speak Greek was a barbarian. For Romans, everyone else was uncivilized. That was the way they were framed in their understanding towards each other. Well, the young church in the first century also behaved more or less the same way. Jews brought their own attitudes, their boundaries to the church, while Gentiles did the same. Just like the way we do in our churches today. So in chapter 2, Paul reminds believers, particularly us, who are saved by grace, received by Jesus Christ into his family. He's saying these things to us repeatedly. You who are Gentiles, have been brought into the household of God, should be careful not to bring the worldly attitudes into the church, into the temple of God, lest you fall away from grace. This is what he tells in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. We as Gentiles could not have done anything to save ourselves had Jesus not come down to break the walls of separation existed for centuries and brought us near to God. So we need to be constantly reminded of the situation from which God has brought us close to Jesus. If we forget, or the moment we forget from where we have been brought, there is a chance that we may fall away from grace. So today I would like to bring three things to us. First one is, in Christ, we should not have any walls of alienation and separation between us. Second, in Christ, we should live as one new family with indifferences. Third, in Christ, we are being built as a holy temple wherein God lives by His Spirit. So let's go by each one of them. In Christ, we should have no walls of separation and alienation. When I say this, I am not referring to the so-called wall that you are familiar with. I am not talking about immigration issue at all. Please don't misunderstand me. Turn your ears to me because this is the Word of God. I am talking about the walls we build in our hearts. 
The walls in our hearts are more dangerous than the physical walls we erect against others. Let me repeat that for us. The walls in our hearts are more dangerous than the physical walls we erect against each other. Yet our times, we feel the invisible walls here, but we don't see them and we deny them right away. But the invisible walls that we have will show up in our attitudes, in our walk of life, in our fellowship with others, in the way we interact with people of other faiths, other cultures, and with the people outside our comfort zone. They show up naturally. That is when you know that you have built a wall or someone built a wall against you. I have heard people say, particularly the church people say, if that person gets to heaven, I hope I won't run into him. <laughs> there are people who want to carry their walls all the way up to heaven. That is the sad situation of the church. That means we have the walls which are invisible, but they're real. It takes guts to accept that we have walls in our hearts against someone, somewhere. That God do not want those things to happen. And God wants to destroy them. That is what is all about in Ephesians chapter 2. So this morning, I would like to talk about a few walls. The first one is the wall of pride based on our identity and privilege. Sometimes we build this wall based on our heritage, where we come from, where we are born, where we are raised, whether that is national, ethnic, caste, racial, denominational, doctrinal, educational, social identities. Some of us have the privilege of being born in this country. Some of us are born in some exalted ethnicity. Some of us are blessed with good education. Some of us are blessed with better jobs and business. Praise God for all the blessings that God gives to us. But any attitude that we build around those blessings may adversely affect us and also affect everyone around us. Sometimes we think the attitude that we may build may be affecting us only, but it affects everyone else outside of you. So it separates people. Paul actually talks about the created gap between the people of Israel and the Gentiles. They had religious walls built around them, and they treated each other so badly even within the church. And Jews were so proud of circumcision that they called everybody else uncircumcision. Is there anyone here in the church who is circumcised is proud of yourself? <laughs> this is so weird when I read all this. I say, what in the world? You are so proud of circumcision and call everyone else is uncircumcised? Well, there is nothing wrong with circumcision because God himself gave that to Abraham when he made a covenant with him that God would, would bless his children. But what happened here is 
the attitude they attached to the circumcision itself was so bad that they gave so much importance to the sign itself rather than the covenant. Think about the story of David and Goliath. How David calls Goliath. He uses it spontaneously, uncircumcised Philistine. And you know, that was the natural conversation to happen, and you know, these people shamed Gentiles publicly, calling you uncircumcision. And if I really explore so much on this thing, I tell you, rabbis, they have written books after books how circumcision would save them, rather than God who gave the circumcision for a, for a different purpose altogether. And they created so many oral and moral laws to set themselves above the rest to pride themselves against everyone else rather than living for God, living a holy life for which God has called them. So pride affects us and it blocks grace in us and also in others. It alienates people. So we sometimes cause that gap. Remember when God made covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, he said, in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. So Gentiles were part of the people of Israel, but they never recognized that. And if you read the book of Isaiah, chapters 42 and 60, you learn that God made Israel, God called Israel for one purpose, that is to become a light and salvation of the Lord before the people. But they have misunderstood the whole covenant itself. Blessing others is not even in their radar. They miss the mark totally and they haven't included Gentiles in the plan of salvation. They become so theocentric to the extent that God only belongs to them. God doesn't belong to anybody else. We want to protect the holy. We want to protect the most high for ourselves. And we do not want anybody else to know the power of God. And the Solomon Temple is the best example, which had number of walls, which separated men from women, men from priests, priests from high priests, and Jews from Gentiles. Think about this wall right here which was not there in the original design of Solomon's temple. This wall is known as Soreg Wall, which, is, which stands five feet tall. And it was probably built in the third century BC to prevent Gentiles from entering and defiling the temple. And in fact, these Gentiles were flocking to see the power and glory of God, but the people of Israel do not want them to see. They only can stay behind the wall and see and imagine what their Lord looked like, how powerful he could have been. That's all they could imagine, but they had no clue how their God looked like. And even they put a wall uh, with, uh, with this sign, that, you see, this one, this, this thing, they had it there with this sign in 
Greek and Aramaic, they have written there saying, no Gentile may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Think about that. If anyone, anyone wants to know our God, we'll kill him. That is, that is merely what, what it says. If anybody wants, was that the reason God chose them? No. Gentiles were permitted to bring their animals here and donate for sacrifices, but they were not allowed inside because they were considered intrinsically impure. They will defile the temple. And you know, the irony of that is, it is the people of Israel who blocked Gentiles from entering, and they were here, but they called them godless. What did they call them? Godless. That's what in the text we see. Godless in Greek means atheists. In other words, they are calling everyone else atheists. It's an insulting word to call anyone godless because they had more gods than Israelites. They were more religious because they were more, more than one god. They were more godlier than these people, but they called them godless. Think about that. It was not because they did not know one true God, but just because, you know, they wanted to insult them, they just called them atheists. Imagine if someone comes to you and calls atheists. You wouldn't like it because it's an insult because you know you are worshiping at least one God. In that respect, Gentiles were worshiping many gods, but they called them godless. Why am I saying all these things? Because sometimes we Gentiles who are found by grace might fall in the same trap the people of God in the Old Testament fell. So how we can ward off the temptations of the world? Sometimes we could brag about the heritage that we come from, whether it is our skin color, whether it is our education, or it is our family background. When Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus, came to India, he happened to reach high caste Brahmins with the gospel, and many uh, Brahmin families came to Jesus Christ, and they established a church. But because there is a caste system in India, I think some of you know caste system. We have four major castes in India. And then the outside of, outside of that four castes are considered untouchable. So they don't interdine, you know, they don't intermarry, they don't do any of those things outside their own caste, right? So it is so, caste sigma is, stigma is so high. So now when gospel went to the high caste people in India through Thomas, the high caste people do not want to share gospel with low caste people at all. They do not want to sit with them and they do not want to sit and worship the true living God with them in one space. So they all together did not carry the gospel to other castes at all. That is the reason India has not been changed until today. There is that caste problem that we often battle with. In one of the churches I went to, one elderly gentleman came to me and asked, Manohar, which, uh, 
are you Baptist or uh, Lutheran? That's what he asked. Are you Baptist or Lutheran? I thought he's asking about denomination. But he was asking about abomination. In fact, he wants to know what my caste is. Because in that part of the world, Lutherans means one particular caste. Baptists mean another particular caste. They built their own walls, uh, not just in the hearts and also outside, elsewhere. How could the grace of God flow from these bodies of Christ? When I say bodies of Christ, the individual churches, the local church. How can they exhibit the love of Christ through their actions and behaviors? At one church I went to, there was a feet washing ceremony going on. I was so thrilled. I thought, praise God, they are showing humility, like the way Jesus showed to his disciples and to people around him. And as I was observing, I saw these people are picking up their own caste people to the basin where they could wash each other's feet. They're picking their own people of choice, whether they cast their family member. As the ceremony was ending, I looked back and I saw at the back of the church, there was a leper, a leper, you know. He was left out. So I went to him. And I asked him, have you finished this thing? He said, no, 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 I, I haven't done. No, I'm not going to participate in this today. I asked, what happened? He said, yeah, well, uh, I have one more leper who comes to this church, but today he's absent. He didn't come today. So when he comes, we usually wash each other's feet. Now when he's absent or I am absent, uh, we will be left out. That broke my heart. I went to him. I said, come on. Let's go. Do this. And he said, no, 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 no. He was like literally forced. No, 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 no. I said, what happened? You know, his hands and all totally leprosy, and you can't even touch him. It's all a little bit smell might be there. It's there. It's a little gross to see. He said, no, 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 please come. Please, please don't come to me. I said, no, let's go. So I, I just took him and, you know, put his feet in the basin. I used my bare hands to clean. Tears began to fall from his eyes. He couldn't stop crying all the way until I finished. And he gave me a hug, and he doesn't want to let me go. I don't know how much that changed him, but that certainly changed me. Friends, it takes courage to break the boundaries and to cross your comfort zone to touch the lives of the unloved, the lonely, the ugly, the illiterate, the poor, the people on the margins. It takes courage. I'm glad for High Point, which is moving towards multicultural church, but we still have some walls that we might not know that we need to break, whether they are interethnic, cross-cultural, intergenerational, you name it, you know them, but they are invisible. But God wants to see the grace flow through us.
The another wall I would like to bring is the wall of hurt. Each one of us have been hurt in the past or currently going through it. When someone day does something or says something to you, you are deeply hurt. Immediately you will think, no, that person is not going to hurt me again. So you try to build a wall against that person in your heart. And you say, ah, no, that person is never going to hurt me. So now you try to avoid eye contact. You try to avoid the path that he usually walks. Don't we, even in the church? We build walls, maybe more walls to get rid of other walls in our heart. So how do we get rid of these walls of hurt? Just overcome these walls of hurt by forgiving them just as the way Jesus forgave. Just as the way Jesus forgave, how did he do? Is there any hurt worse than what Jesus went through. Jesus was accused falsely, portrayed badly, stripped off his clothes, and finally hung on the cross like a piece of wood, a piece of cloth. With that pain hanging on the cross, gasping for air, and unable to even stabilize his head from keeping it straight, he utters, Softly, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Think about that. It's not coming out of pain, that words. That words were coming out of big heart, filled with love for the world. Another wall that comes to my mind is the wall of fear. Sometimes we build this wall when we are afraid of people, we might think, what would happen if somebody know me who I am really is? You know, then we try to build a wall to protect our identity because people don't want to see us inside. We wanted to only show what is outside, but we don't want to show what is inside. So we wanted to, wanted to protect that, and we are afraid that we will lose respect. That's why we, won't, we don't want to let people come too close to us, or we don't want to go too close to people, because we build that wall, but sometimes it's so hard for us to accept that. But we think we're doing a favor to ourselves by building a wall around us. You know, my dad, he's now 83, been in the ministry for 57 years, suffered in the ministry, never built a house for himself, went on bicycle for 65 years, not because of exercise, but that is the only mode of transportation. And this man loves white people for some reason. <laughs> if I... Even today, I mean, he used to ask me when I came here, when I went back, he said, are you living with white people? I said, yeah. How oh, blessed you are. <laughs> I mean, he's not thinking about financial blessing or anything. He just thinks white people are the holiest people on earth. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, I said, Dad, all white people are there, so you don't need to ask. You should ask if there is any people of other color. You should ask. But the, every person there is white, so that's why I'm there. Oh, oh. So seeing his desire, I brought him uh, in 2014. In fact, he came here once. Uh, he stood on the stage here. You know, what was in my father's mind was, it was about the missionary sacrifices that white people have made. Otherwise, we would not have had received the gospel. So he is so grateful for white people, and he thinks they could come to my country, which is racked by corruption, filled with all sorts of evil things and superstitions. That means it takes so much courage to come, so much sacrifice to come, to my country and do the thing. So he loved them to death because, and also white people, when they come, they take camera and take picture of everything. There is a stain, take a picture of it. And there is a, um, there is a dog sleeping. Wow, beautiful dog, take a picture of it. And um, there is a dirty dog, you know, taking and eating something out of trash can, take a picture of it. <clears throat> and then they take picture of every sleeping child, smiling child, and they do all that. So he thought these people are full of love. And here comes, he comes in 2014 to the United States. And you know what, you're already guessing, right? Even in the church, people wouldn't smile at him. Please don't feel hurt, but it happened in some other state, not here. I already said we love Wisconsin, so don't hate me. <laughs> yeah, literally it happened in another state. And my dad said, after one week, son, I want to go. That broke my heart. I said, I brought you here to stay for a while, rest. You worked so hard in India, sacrificed everything. I want you to have rest. And you wanted to come and see these people who blessed our country. They wouldn't smile at him. They wouldn't give him a hug. They wouldn't shake hand with him. He didn't know English. He doesn't know how to criticize them. I'm saying, I don't know how much of that is in our congregation. I'm saying that because we try to build a wall around us based on heritage, privilege, hurt, and fear, and we don't want to let the thing in us go out, go away from us. We don't want the grace of God pass through those walls because walls restrict us. This is what Paul tells in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Be completely humble. Look at that. Not humble. What? Completely humble. That means it is a full circle. And be gentle, be patient, bearing one another. Look at that. You have to carry other person on your back, not just go from the other way. That is the Christian living. That is the testimony. That itself is the gospel that we could witness through action. Bear one another in love. Now he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace.
Now, second, I need to move on. In Christ, we should live as one new family with indifferences. Look at how Paul puts it. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. He often brings to their memory, remember, remember, you were once, and but now, remember who you were once and now, and he tells, you were separated, separated from God's plan in the beginning, separated from the blessings. Maybe not by God, maybe the people of Israel separated them, but now they are united in Christ. They were far from God, whether they pushed themselves from God or the people of Israel pushed them from God. You have seen the example of temple, but now they are brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. They were alienated, now they are reconciled. They were excluded, now they are included in the household of God. And they were foreigners, and now they are fellow citizens. And they were strangers, now they are the family members. This is all to us, God is saying. We were the people, we are the people, we were separated. We were far from God, we were alienated, we were excluded, we were foreigners, we were strangers, but God united us together, brought us close to God, reconciled to God and to men, included us in the household and made us fellowship citizens of the heavenly places and made us the family members. So gospel has to transform people and their attitudes. Sometimes we think, yeah, our rationale is changing when gospel comes into, no, 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 our attitude, our character has to change. So when, when Paul was talking about the change that has been brought from past to the present, he wants them to know that they need to live by humility and gratitudes and stand against the human temptations of being privileged people and standing with pride. And now, think about this guy. I would like to talk about this guy. This man is from low castes, very low caste. Right? And his son was killed because his son married this girl who comes from high caste. And parents did not agree for this marriage because girls' family are from high caste and the boys' family are from low caste and there are lots of caste discriminations right in the church. Now what happened is, when this girl and her husband married elsewhere and came back home, her parents acted as if they approved it, but when she went in-laws home, they brutally killed her husband, that means his son, just because they did not want a low-caste person in their house. In fact, those who did were Christians, 
I cast. Now look at what this man has done. This man who has been transformed from the margins, the low caste, untouchable. He took this girl as his own child and he's comforting her. And he said, we have no enmity with your family. You can still live with us as our own daughter. How can you do that? So how can we sacrifice our traditional values for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of exhibiting this grace before others so that people can walk in. That's why Paul is keeping, keep on reminding the believers in Ephesus about their identity in Jesus Christ. So we should recognize the image of God in others. If we don't recognize the image of God in others, that is when we try to build a wall against, uh, against them. When we hate someone, their character, their behavior, we are doing it because we don't recognize, basically, that there is the same image of God in others as well. We try to miss the mark because we think we are the so-called spiritual people and then everyone else is not. We should treat others as fellow family members in the household of God because Paul says we are adopted into his sonship. It's not just the Israel. We are adopted into his sonship. Now the third lesson is, in Christ we are built as a temple, a holy temple wherein God resides by his spirit. This is what he says in verse 21 and 22. In him the whole building is joined. Whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God resides by his spirit. Now observe this phrase which says, in him the whole building is joined. So Paul is kind of using an analogy of the building, of a building, and saying God is renovating it through Christ. Think about a house where you have several walls, and then you decided that you want to make space in a particular section, and you want to get rid of the wall, and then you call a builder. You know what he will look for when he comes? Okay, well, I will try to do that for you, but before that, I wanted to look at if that wall that you want to get rid of is a load-bearing wall. If it is a load-bearing wall, you can't get rid of it. You know that? The builder would say, if you really want to get rid of that, you need to make a provision for that two sections to, to bear. So, you know, you have to literally have a log across two rooms, then you can get rid of it. That means some provision to bear the load. So 
So why he is bringing that analogy, you are joined together, that means he's saying, because Jesus bore that weight, that load for us. Jesus bore the load for us so that we can get rid of that wall. That is the key that he's trying to use. We cannot get rid of the wall by ourselves, but Jesus has already accomplished it. He has actually removed that wall by placing himself across. That is what the cross, what is, that is what the message of the cross. He came across that separation and he placed himself so that we don't have any differences. We can walk into each other's lives and we can bless each other in the way that God blesses us. I do not know what kinds of uh, load-bearing walls you have in your heart, but Jesus bears your weight. He bears your weight so you don't have to have those walls, whether they're built on your privilege, whether they're built on your hurt or fear. Sometimes these walls could be a wall of jealousy, hatred, enmity, selfishness. I'm not talking about the reasons for those things, but I'm talking about the very selfishness that is present in us, the jealousy, the hatred, enmity. We need to get rid of them. Put them on Jesus because he is capable of bearing all of them for us. What a blessing to be part of that. It is the only house, the house of God, where all people can come together with indifferences. What a blessing, right? This is the holy temple that God is building. We are becoming a dwelling for God. Think about how God asked his people in the past. He asked people of Israel to build a tabernacle with curtains. There were no walls, the curtain, right? And now, when it comes to David, David wants to build a magnificent temple for God with gold, silver, and big stones. But God doesn't want him to build, but his son Solomon builds it. But what Paul says in Acts 7, verse 48, the Most High does not live in the temples made by human hands. Think about that. The Most High does not live in the temples made by human hands. God is not worried about whether we have a, you know, expensive furniture in the house or in the, in the church, or we have a, a good way of programming our worship. God is least worried about that. You know, sometimes I don't walk on the stage here because, you know, you have the provision to walk. In some churches I go to India, I have just this space to stand because people are sitting all, all around me to preach the gospel. I have to still, otherwise I have to walk on people if I got habituated with that. So th God is least bothered about our lavish temples that we build where we worship. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But God is concerned about the holy temple where the Spirit of God lives, that is, this temple. Can we be part of that temple where His glory not only resides, but His presence dwells? 
Nowhere God says in the Bible that he dwelt in those things. His presence used to dwell among the people where this tent was. And this presence was you know, evident at times in these places. But in this area, you see that God's Spirit dwells. So that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So we are the temple. We are the temple whether we are in a party as Christians, children of God, or whether we are in some group setting elsewhere. We are still a holy temple. So let's move from our religious-centric, socio-centric, ethnocentric attitudes to Christocentric lifestyle. We want to exhibit Jesus and his message through our living. It's possible that we may be rich in theology, highly religious, practically missional, and very talented, and use all of them for God, yet have walls within us against our brothers, and fail to see the purpose of God in those people that you try to put a wall against. Christ has accomplished it on the cross of Calvary, but we need to make every effort to keep that unity of the Spirit. Let me conclude it with the story of Bishop V.S. Azariah. He's an Anglican native missionary from India. And in fact, the missionary movement in India was built by white people, the Westerners, Westerners, white people, uh, during 20th century. That's why I told you my dad loved them because they brought the gospel, right? But V.S. Azariah, when he was made bishop, he identified racism and missionary paternalism within Christian lives, which became a barrier to Christian witness, Christian life. So he does not know how to fix it. So he comes to the World Missionary Conference at Edinburgh in 1910, where he got a chance to speak like this, and he challenged all the Western missionaries who had this cultural pride and mind of segregation, and he spoke these stunning words at the end of his presentation. Through all the ages to come, the Indian church will rise up in gratitude to attest the heroism and self-denying labors of the missionary body. You have given your goods to feed the poor. You have given your bodies to be burned. We also ask for love. Give us friends. Think about that. You have given your goods to the poor, to feed the poor, and you have given your bodies to be burned, but you cannot love, you cannot befriend people who are not part of you. If you want to see a revival, if you want to see the Spirit of God move in our midst, if you want to see 
lives get transformed, or if you want to see the nations come to Christ, or if you want to see High Point become a church for all nations, we have to be ready to break our invisible walls, whether we admit or not, and invite people so that people don't have to get invited, but they just walk in because this is the holy temple where God resides and they want to meet that God. And can you become that church, that living church, that holy church where God could reside by his spirit? Now the Lord is bringing the nations to our doorsteps. The Lord is bringing nations to our doorsteps. Are we ready for them? Are we ready? Shall we close our eyes? Father, we come to you to break the walls within us, to bear the load that we bear in our hearts. God, we, we want you, again, take that load upon you. Jesus, transform us into the way that you want us to. God, Peter could not break his walls. Prophet Jonah could not break his walls. Lord, we are very simple people. And we struggle a lot, but we ask for your grace that you will break our walls. You bring down the walls like the walls of Jericho. We just protest against them. And we come against all these walls, invisible walls, whatever they are may be, so that we may exhibit the very grace of God in and through our lives. God, we pray for some of us who may be struggling with fear, hurt, or pride, have mercy on them, O oh God, and bring their walls as we allow the Holy God to come into this temple where everybody could be included. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.